Welcome everyone to King's Talk, presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we got John. <laughs> We're starting the third week since the Kings have been eliminated from playoff contention. We're at that point in the offseason where the NBA playoffs are still going. And all we can really do is speculate um, on what the Kings might do when the offseason really starts to pick up and trades start being made or free agency hits or maybe even the draft. It's kind of an interesting time right now. A little slow, I guess you can say, for Kings news, but still enjoying basketball. You've been watching any playoffs, John? See, it's the same round. It's the same teams as the bubble conference finals. Yeah, but this year it's for real. <laughs> this year it's legit. Yeah, it's kind of, I've been watching a little bit of the playoffs. The Celtics 76ers series was interesting because it just seemed like it was just, they were just exchanging blowouts, which made it a very underwhelming series, I think. Happy to see Denver in the Western Conference Finals. Though I, I just hope the Lakers don't go to the finals. That's really the only thing that I personally hope for. I don't ask for much. <laughs> and uh, I just don't. I don't. I would prefer if that didn't happen. And I don't think it will. I, I, don't, think, I don't think it should. I really, I really like Denver. You don't want a uh, Celtics-Lakers uh, Celtics finals? When was the last time that happened? 2010? 11? 11 or 12? Yeah. 12. Like no, 11 and 12 was LeBron in Miami. So 10, so it must have been 10. 9, yeah. 10, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kobe's last ring. I think I think that would be cool. But I, I could imagine that a lot of people wouldn't give a shit about that. Because it's just like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I got, it's just like, you're talking about two fan bases that people really don't generally like. Obviously, the Lakers make sense. They're probably one of the more kind of abrasive fan bases to deal with, I think, in a lot of people's opinions. And then yeah. Boston's Boston, which is like a slightly less insufferable version of Philadelphia, but only slightly. I was kind of disappointed, though, that Philadelphia couldn't go to the finals and give the city of Philadelphia another second-place finish, essentially. I know, huh? Joel Embiid, man, the whatever, the MVP for some reason. Yeah, whatever um, that award is. Yeah, whatever. Like it should voters fatigue, I guess. Although they always say that that should that should never be a thing. It's like no, it never goes in my mind. And then Jokic just doesn't win a third straight MVP when he should have. But no, give it to Embiid, you know. And then let Jason Tatum Tatum score fifty one against you, which is which makes me happy because now Steph Curry's fifty point record game seven scoring is now obsolete. I mean, honestly, the fifty-point record that Curry set—it was just like they kept him. They they kept the starters on the floor long, and they let them do that. And it was just like there was some element of like, like this is gonna get broken. It's gotta get broken. Like they kind of forced things into that. So I feel like it was fitting that it didn't take long for that record to get topped. So you know, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum, <laughs> the savior of Sacramento. <laughs> Yeah, you can say that. I mean, outside of like Tatum breaking the record and uh, for a game 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 seven scoring performance, I guess another kind of thing that's it's not connected to the Kings. I shouldn't say that, but the firing of Monty Williams is something uh, that shortly in the aftermath of uh, the Budenholzer firing, what is it like? A vast majority of the recent coaches of the year have now 
been vacated from their positions, positions that they deserve a ton of credit for, especially Monty Williams. Dude, I can't believe they got rid of Monty Williams for that. I, it's well, as <laughs> crazy. It's it's, it's it's Durant's it's, not a free agent, right? He still has like several years left on his yeah. contract, right? Yeah, that's crazy. I can't believe it's, they would just fire him like that. I don't. Yeah, I don't. It's not. It's not like it was like a. It was like all right. Like it's now or never. We like no. They have Durant for a couple more years and Booker. And yeah, I don't know. It's like a, an optics thing. It, it, it must be an optics thing. It's like. Which is so stupid because it's like you just fired a great coach, you know? Yeah, like most a people really could agree. Good coach Monty Williams is a brilliant coach, and he turned that team around. Was coach of the year? Um, was he coach of the year last year? Did he win it back to back years? He might have won it back to back years. So Mike Brown, Monty Williams last year. The year before it was Tom Thibodeau. Nick Nurse in oh, 2020. For the Knicks? Really? I'm amazed that. Yeah, he did. I'm amazed Monty Williams didn't win it in his first year. Tom, he only Tom Dibodeau is still like winning coaches of the year. That might be his first, but still. Tom Thibodeau is another guy that probably would have gotten fired if the Knicks didn't win a playoff series. Probably. There's just a there's a terrible tendency for these owners to make a make these front offices and owners, whatever, where they, they feel pressured to make this decision. <laughs> it's honestly, it's the dumbest thing you can do. It's like, it's, it's supposed to be symbolic. It's like, we're going to make a change to the coaching staff. We're serious about winning. And it's just like, no, it seems like it sends the opposite message. I think, especially from the perspective of like talking about the Kings, where it was just like the constant, like shuffling through different coaches like that doesn't help stability and stability, as you could tell over the last decade of a decade and a half, with the lack of it, is massively important to success. And it just seems like such a pointless gamble to just fire Monty Williams. I don't know. It's 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 weird. You know, the one thing that I feel kind of bad for is just like not to say like Houston fi- hired Ime Udoka. It's like that's a pretty good hire, but it's like still. It's like Detroit was coming into their final interviews, but like now they're going to wait a little bit to see if Monty Williams is going to be head coach. I feel bad for the teams that didn't know that Monty Williams was going to be available. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, for what? real. Like, yeah, my goodness. I can't believe I can't believe they'd fire him. <laughs> it's insane to me. And it reminds me, too, of Kenny Atkinson getting pushed out of Brooklyn. I mean, Kenny Atkinson was a guy that went in there on a team that had no future gave them a future and then they're like well we're going to bring in all these stars and they essentially you know once the star it's a player's league it makes sense but it's just like you you're chasing this kind of idealized sense of success the nets were and you got rid of the actual hard success that you you know the tangible success that you had you got rid of it and how did that work out for brooklyn i mean granted now they have you know bridges and and, and Cam Johnson, foreseeably, you know, going forward, we'll talk a little bit more about that some more. Um, but like, it just seemed like that was a, a a detour not worth taking, and it was a swing for the fences, maybe. But it's just like, man, you don't need to swing for the fences when you're up three zero in the count, you know? Yeah, it's just like ridiculous. I don't know. You can only hope that this kind of stuff doesn't 
stick around in NBA discourse much longer. But at this point, you can only guess that throughout the next couple of years, more and more coaches that don't deserve to be fired are going to be fired. I mean, it's kind of always been that way. This just seems like such a massive extreme. I mean, Budenholzer is like not as surprising as Monty Williams, especially considering the fact that there were rumblings that they were going to fire Budenholzer the year that they were making their playoff run to the championship. And they ultimately won the championship and saved Budenholzer. Mm-hmm. Um, they were thinking, of, yeah, and they were, <laughs> what a connection. And they were, they were thinking about, you know, firing him. And I mean, it just seems like such a, such a terrible thing that's just kind of been around for a while and it just manifested itself in such an ugly way. And, and it really reminded everybody, it's like, man, it's an ugly business for coach coaching. And um, one can only hope that uh, this kind of stuff doesn't circulate around franchises that are more near and dear to your heart, per se, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, let me get to that in a sec, but it's like, who do the, who do the Suns think they're going to get that's better? At that point, Mike Budenholzer. <laughs> Imagine Mike Budenholzer goes to the Suns and Monty Williams goes to the Bucks. That'd be, that'd be funny. That'd be hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it has to be on the back of all coaches' minds now. I mean, Mike Brown is safe for at least one more year. But I mean, if the Kings make the playoffs, don't really do anything. And I don't know. I mean, this is over like far ahead now. Well, no, think know. about it realistically though. It's like think, like what is if the Kings finish with 46 wins next season and they they their record is down you know two games in the win column from the season before it's like now all of a sudden this kind of worry this thing that is kind of maybe not on the forefront of people's minds in terms of the kings and why would it be at this point but like you do something like that well then all of a sudden it's a little step closer and then you're talking you know a potential downward spiral at that point and that doesn't even necessarily mean that Mike Brown would give the team any reason to move on from them. Now, I don't think that'll happen anytime soon, but it's just like it, it could become a gradual process where all of a sudden you're looking at an extreme move like that being made because the pressure to win and remain relevant or whatever exactly they want to do. Cause I guess relevance doesn't really matter at that point for some of these teams, given some of the star power they have, but I don't know. I mean, it just seems like, especially with Monty Williams, it's like, you're going to trade away all your depth basically and really talented depth, not all of your depth, but a good portion of it mm-hmm. and really, you know, shorten your depth significantly. Then you're going to fire the coach that did not make that decision. I mean, they're going to, um, they're firing the GM too, right? So um, I think so. I think so. Which is, which is bizarre because like, I think those two had been paired up since the success of the Suns you know, had uh, started to begin. And it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> it, I'm, it just, you you end up kind of focusing in and it just doesn't make any sense. The one where you kind of run through it. It's just like, I don't know. It's bizarre. I don't know who they're going to hire to replace Monty Williams, but maybe the Suns know something we don't. <laughs> yeah, ex- I mean, that's... <laughs> maybe Phil Jackson's coming back. Phil <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> be hilarious. Or maybe they want to hire Mark Jackson. They've just been listening to his playoff commentators. The like, man. Yeah. Well, they, they saw the, the Bucks are going to interview him. They're like, no, nah, we got to. We got to get him first. We got to get him. What's that, Mark? Boy. Mark Jackson, King's almost coach. The Vivek had his way. 
reportedly. Yeah. You know, Vivek yeah, would make you believe. Around this time. Yeah. Brown been coach for a year yet? Yeah, I think because so, I think he got hired at the end of May last year. Or was it the beginning of May? I don't remember. I think it was the beginning of May because I traveled and I think that he got hired right before I started going around. That makes sense. Mike, Mikey B. Mikey B. Um, Gets an yeah. A this year, though. Mikey B. What? I said, well, Mikey B. He gets an he he got an A this year, you know. Oh Mikey yeah, <laughs> coach of the year, first unanimous. What a guy, Mike Brown went from coaching greats like LeBron James to Kobe Bryant to Chimezi Metu and Casey Paula and Sack. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I realize that if they don't bring back Metu next season, that'll be the end of the Nigerian national team experiment. Yeah, it will be. End of an era. (laughs) Yeah, end of an era. That would be, I mean. It'd be a failure. Be Mike Brown's biggest failure as a coach. You know, that that would put Vivek in a position to pull the trigger on firing him. Yeah. You know? And to actually bring in Mark Jackson before the Bucks deal. He's probably like nervous now. He's like, man, like Mark Jackson was always like in my back pocket in case we need to fire Brown, but man, like he <laughs> might he might he might go to the Bucks, so I mean he he might be the first unanimous coach of the year, but shit. Mark Jackson will be the second. Yeah. I mean I don't know what those teams are gonna do, because in terms of it just seems like they f- like in Nick Nurse too. I mean, like so, the, are those three just going to shuffle between these three teams? I mean, going to be. I mean, Nick Nurse you- goes to the Suns. Budenholzer goes to the Raptors. I mean, I think the Raptors are probably looking at more. They probably want to. They're not looking for like a win now coach. I don't think. No. If, if my my uh, if I'm understanding that correctly, I think they're kind of looking more for a little bit of a recalibration. Yeah, I think so. Um, because, but yeah, like the Bucks. It's funny because yeah, the Bucks and the Suns were in the finals two years ago against each other, and now they're coachless. So, I mean, who else is who else is out there? Big. I mean, who who was? I was thinking about that other Bucks head coach. What was, I was his, yeah, Charles just, Lee. Charles <laughs> Lee. So I was, was going to just Hammond about to Lee. say that. Yeah, because Charles Lee's still there. Um, and I, w- I mean, Dan, that would be smart for them to just kind of hire from within. Um, yeah, at that point, I feel like that would be smart. Knows the guys. Um, I don't know. Charles Lee was definitely out of like Darvin Ham and Will Hardy, out of the lesser known names from a year ago. Which is crazy to say that like Will Hardy and Darvin Ham were ever lesser names, but they very much were a year ago. Um, both had terrific seasons, but Charles Lee, you know, it's a matter of time. It didn't seem like he was going to be a head coach last summer, but a matter of time, and I guess it depends on how the Bucks feel. And maybe the players as well. Mm. But yeah, no, not, I would not want to be a head coach. <laughs> yeah, no, it's sounds awful. Like, uh, people, this is going to be one of those things where it's like, there's been so many countless moments throughout like being kids where like Tony and I would, you look up stats of guys or you look up like, you know, stats of teams and coaches and you're like, wait, they fired him after this? And it's just yeah. going to puzzle people forever. And, like, that's the ultimate case of that. This is going to be puzzling for everybody that looks back at the Chronicles of History. They fired that guy? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. looking at Mike. Michael Jordan left in the prime of his career to, <laughs> to go play baseball. Go play baseball? Couldn't hit the side of a barn. <laughs> let's uh let's talk a little Kings now for those who tuned in and who are still with us. And just going straight at it. I mean, the, the big talk right now, I guess, and the biggest uh, question mark would have to be with or regarding Harrison Barnes and Sasha Bezenkov. Sasha Bezenkov is a two-time MVP in the Greek League. Kings acquired his rights in the draft last season. And reports are that he's basically probably going to come to Sacramento next season. And then on top of that, you have the decision on Harrison Barnes, who's an unrestricted free agent. And are you going to keep him after that showing in the playoffs? He's still, you know, it was an important player of this team this year. Can he get someone better maybe? Can Vezinkov fill in for him? So I think that's the big topic captivating people in the Sacramento Kings world right now. What are your thoughts on all this? Let's start with Sasha Vezinkov because just like, as you noted, it's obviously mounting in buzz that he's going to come here. It would already be on a topic, you know, the day after the Kings lost game seven to the Warriors. Mike Brown was in Greece last week to see their uh, game five in round one of the Euro League playoffs. And then Mark Stein reported this weekend, because Mark Stein always jumping on the bandwagon, talked to a source, a European source, who said it's bordering on inevitable that he makes the move. And uh, so it sounds like in some capacity, Sasha Vezinkov is going to be on the Kings. And from a strict offensive standpoint, I do not think there's any question that he would fit in just fine. And that looking at the offensive end, he could plug into the starting lineup. I don't think that's totally crazy. Um, He is, I would say he's a better shooter than Harrison Barnes. He has an insanely quick release. He's a, a master of off-ball movement. He would fit right in to the team. He kind of looks awkward, I think, especially when you're talking about like European players. People don't expect them to be able to move. And while I wouldn't call Vezinkov athletic in any regard in terms of like NBA athleticism, he moves better than you'd expect. He hustles, um, and he's a very smart player. He has an insanely soft touch. You watch him, he's got a great floater game. He's soft to the touch, you could say. Oh, oh, yeah, big Sasha, soft to the touch, and soft uh, to the touch, Sasha. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there you go. We're getting those nicknames going, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think in in terms of like one of the things he's known for, he's known for being able to just score without putting the ball on the floor. I think he had a game where he scored eighteen points and didn't dribble the ball once, and so you know. Like that's that would fit right into the the movement of the Kings offense. He he would be able to squeeze right into that and, and do all that. And of course, like you would probably I guess the one thing that I would point out on offense that you would really miss from Harrison Barnes is like you wonder if Vezenkov's gonna be able to put the ball on the floor the in any capacity similar to Harrison Barnes, because Harrison Barnes was just a guru at being able to sense when things were getting a little off track and he could put the ball on the floor, get to the line or score in the paint, probably more likely the former and uh, kind of set things straight again, which was part of his kind of like stabilizing veteran status. 
you probably would not get that from Sasha Venzenkov. Uh, but you could probably get that from other guys, hopefully. Um, yeah, I was going to say, hopefully Murray can take that next step. Um, you would hope. Or, yeah, and he kind of showed that going, maybe not, or going towards the end of the season, he kind of showed that he can get into the paint. Maybe not draw fouls the way Harrison Barnes can draw fouls, but um, he looked more confident dribbling the ball towards the end of the season, and he's a guy you can see taking a big jump in his sophomore year. But sorry, keep continue. No, that's a great point, and when you think about it too, it's just like, you put Vezenkov out there. I mean, it's not like Barnes was not a threat from three. Uh, but if you're talking about a situation where Vezenkov is a better shooter than Barnes, which I, I that's probably the least controversial thing you can say. I mean, that's one of the things. The quick release, the the ability to hit from all sorts of different angles and off of all sort, sorts of different actions. Like Vezenkov is going to be a very good shooter in the league. And, it, it, you know, at his height, it's going to translate, I think. Um, so with that... It maybe not to a huge degree, but that might spread the floor open opportunities up for a guy like Keegan Murray to maybe dribble inside or do something like that. So the spacing might be slightly better too. So like offensively speaking, he seems pretty solid. And he's also a really, you know, he's adamant about uh, getting on the glass, getting rebounds and he plays the right way. Mike Brown called him smart. <laughs> Sounds He's smart. But no, that means a lot. You don't, just, you don't just say that about a guy. And I think Mike Brown values that. He values the toughness. I think one of the things he said when he got interviewed by a Greek reporter last week was that you can tell that Sasha Venzikov's not afraid of anything. He's fearless, which is just critical for any professional athlete, especially one that's going to be making this jump over overseas to come to the ultimate uh, league competition wise for that sport. And, um, so like all those things do set kind of, or paint a picture for the possibility, again, the possibility that he could fill in for Barnes in the starting lineup, you know, slide Murray up to the three, but we talked about kind of the, um, kind of how, uh, is <laughs> there's not really clear cut position so much in the, in the Mike Brown system as it were. So mm-hmm. I feel like it could fit and like all that sounds great. But then the question is his defense, which even if you watch him in EuroLeague and you were like, well, he's a pretty solid defender in EuroLeague. It's like, yeah, but you know, <laughs> the worst player in the NBA could go to EuroLeague and be a pretty, pretty productive player. And, you know, you're not guarding the you know preeminent talent in the world there. It, it's going to be significantly harder. I don't think I have to say that um, when you come to this league. So, and then it's just hard to judge what he'll be able to do in that situation. But while that's kind of a question mark and even kind of a concern, because like I said, I mean, he may move well, but he's not necessarily athletic. It doesn't jump off kind of the screen. He doesn't jump off the screen at you. You know, that could cause some concerns. But if you're also talking about a smart player, high IQ, good feel for the game, and one that hustles, and one that wants to do really well, you know, maybe he could buy in and really thrive into the Mike Brown, Jordy Fernandez defense. So it's a possibility, but it's too big of a question mark to really, like, bet on. So, like, in the to answer the question of, like, can Venzenkov replace Barnes like he can 
I don't know that he will. And it's also just like, and if you don't know that he will, like, are the Kings going to go out and just be like, yeah, let's just hope. Or unless they, 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 unless they have an understanding that like they have a better idea of what they'll get out of him and they like what they see or don't. And he becomes more of a role player. So like, that's kind of the, the situation with Vezinkov and, and I guess one of the questions that I have is like, if he isn't viewed as a starter, cause it would be a nice swap. I feel like he'd be getting a cheaper player it with Vezinkov as opposed to Barnes, but like what if they want to do role player thing? Like, yeah, we see him as a good role player. Everybody likes Lyles. We like Lyles. Lyles is great. He has a great connection with the rest of the team, but we asked it a couple months ago. It's like, doesn't Vezinkov kind of almost seem like he could, like, in terms of what he offers, uh, especially talking about the offense, it's like he could slide in as a backup four, as it were, maybe be a replacement for for Lyles. I mean, I, I if I'm not mistaken, I'm not like a contract expert, but it's like you're probably looking at like a mid-level contract, maybe five to seven, seven and a half million for Lyles. You might be looking at a little bit. I mean, I, I really don't know what you're going to get at a at a Vesenkov contract wise, but I feel like it would be somewhere around that seven million dollar range. And maybe I'll eat my words on that one again. I'm not purporting to be an expert there, but it almost feels like there's that potential. Do you have like any initial feelings about that, or like do you feel like he has to be a starter or a role player? Do you feel like they could keep him and Lyles? Uh, I mean. Again, like a lot of this is a little out of reach at this point in mid-May, but I don't know. Do you have any initial feelings? I mean, it, it is a good point where it's like, because, I mean, you have to bring Lyles back, right? That should be a priority. Even if you bring Vezinkov, um, which sounds like it will happen. But it's like, yeah, they kind of sound like similar players and stretch fours, probably off the bench too. I see Sasha more as a guy coming off the bench initially. I don't know if you get... I mean, it's just like, I just feel like it's too big of a question mark to throw Vezinkov in at three in place of Barnes and then hoping to really take a big next step next season, a big jump next season. Um, it just seems a little risky. I don't know. Maybe maybe Lyles, they play him more at the small five and kind of go that trajectory. But it does sound like if they are coming off the bench together, they'll be fighting for minutes, which I don't know. It'd be kind of... It'd be interesting, but it, I think they'll both be here next season, and I both think they'll be off the bench. So I don't know. That makes me think maybe Lyles will just slide down to the five. I mean, he he played it, he played it well enough. Um, I don't know how he'd handle bigger guys, but at the same time, Metu was our backup five all year or most of the year, I should say. And I think him and Lyles are the same size, right? They're the same height, probably about the same weight too. So I don't know. It'd be kind of interesting, but um. Well, yeah. you know what's interesting is mm-hmm. I think we had a conversation outside of the podcast. I don't think we talked about it on here, but it's like if we're talking about like moving Murray to the three, so to speak, and then, you know, needing a power forward to start, like what about, especially with the question marks about Sasha Vezinkov's defense and what exactly he'll look like in the league. I mean, and I, I understand, like I, I've, I'm reluctant to even say this because you're talking about it wanting to improve upon a 48 win season. This does not sound like your intent on improving on a 48 win season, but it's like would Lyle start in that situation. If they keep both of them, 
because the one thing I like the idea of Lyles being the small five, but I mean, it, he could, he could handle that for most of the time, especially if you get like a cheaper kind of bigger body to kind of alternate based maybe on matchups or something like that, or what, what's needed on any given night. But, you know, we did mention it's like, you know, Lyles obviously would not be better than Barnes in the starting lineup, but given the growth, both of like having a full year of the offense under your belt, having the understanding of what you need to do to succeed in this offense and succeed when playoff time comes, you know, we're talking about Herder needing to work on his conditioning or Sabonis needing to work on his jump shot. So there'd be like growth around him. I mean, is it crazy to say that like Lyles could start? I guess that's just a long-winded way of asking that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Lyles could start personally. I'd rather have Vezinkov start, just because I just found Lyles super valuable off the bench, and he embraced that role. Where Vezinkov, I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, feed into this man's ego, but he is a two-time MVP. He is a starter. Maybe someone who would, you know, fit in better with that starting lineup. I don't know. I just like Lyles was so good off the bench. And he was a big part of our, our of our depth. I wouldn't want to lose that off the bench. I would rather start Vezinkov in that sense if we have the two. And just because Vezinkov's a guy who's been starting the last several years, or how I mean, probably the last eight years of his life um, in the Greek league, or however long he was there. I saw he's like a he won the Greek league, Greek league MVP in 2015 and 2022 last year. So like he, I mean, he's been. He's been a star for a minute, so I think he would probably play a little better as a starter. I'm not sure if he could embrace that bench role, off, you know. Yeah, I think honestly, another point. I think that's a good point. I would for coming at it from a different direction. There's a video on YouTube from Basket News, which covers the Euro League and like mm-hmm. all European basketball, and it was a clip from a podcast of a couple of insiders or journalists, reporters, um, and they were talking about. Bezenkov coming to the NBA and their kind of worries about their, their, their concerns. And they cited uh, Niccolo Melli, who I think went to the Pelicans and then was on the, the, the Mavericks for a couple of years. And he was like this six, nine shooter. And he ended up just getting kind of stuck in a corner and never really saw a ton of playing time, never really saw a bunch of success and left because he felt like he's not able to do what he needs to do here. And they were kind of pointing to that as like, I mean, if you do that to like a burgeoning star, and European star uh, with Vezinkov, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, is he going to be able to mesh with that, take on a completely different role, a completely reduced role? Like, how is that going to work with his psyche? How would that work with his, his ability to want to kind of help an NBA team succeed by taking a huge step back? I mean, that that has to factor into it. Yeah, because you are talking about a guy that is one of the best players in Europe, and uh, yeah, that definitely factors into it. I'm again, it's just like one of those things where it's like I'm glad Monty McNair is <laughs> at the top of this uh, yeah. decision making thing because there's so much to consider here, and there's so many little things. Whether it's about wanting to keep X, Y, and Z, or is you know this guy going to work in the starting lineup or whatnot, or really what are you going to get out of Sasha Benzikov, particularly on the defensive end. I don't know, but the positivity's there. Everybody seems so positive. I think, you know, Mike Brown has a tendency to talk up players, 
But like even listening to, he just said, you know, he's a saying what we were just saying. I mean, he's a perfect fit for the offense. For uh, if you watch Olympiacos play, they they play fast. They try to embody that kind of, I guess, mod, man, I mean, it's not even hundred percent modern basketball, but kind of what's more in vogue, what's kind of seen as successful these days. And I think in that sense, while it might be a little bit of over-optimism, I don't think they would just be over-optimistic about that. I mean, I think that they genuinely feel like he'll be able to plug in and make the best offense in the league even better. And, uh, you know, if things do work out on the defensive end, like I, I think that there's a potential for Bezenkov to, like I said, I think he's he'd be a better shooter than Barnes. I think Barnes kind of brings maybe a more dynamic impact and kind of intangible impact with his experience and whatnot. But like, there's a realistic chance that offensively speaking, you would be getting about the same, maybe even an upgrade on offense. And again, <laughs> I'm prepared to eat my words on all this because I I, I don't know. Like, it's so I mean, hard to kn- say. I I I mean, I I'll, I'll defend you on that. I, I just I think Vazenkov, thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, he, I, he just seems like a better shooter and like, I, I watched, you know, his highlights and stuff and he seems more capable than just being a guy. It's like, I right, just sit in the corner, kind of like Murray did last season. I think he's, he can do other stuff. He can play in the post. He has a nice little fadeaway. Um, so I think he's more than just a guy who's just going to shoot in the corner. I think he's a better offensive player. I think he can be for sure. Just maybe and solely off of his shooting alone, um, even though he's more dynamic than that. And especially with Fox and Sabonis surrounding you, if he can get open looks, I mean, he's going to get an open look, right? Playing with those two. So I think that'd be a nice little upgrade. Just add a better shooter to a team that really only needs shooters. I mean, and like three and D guys, I guess. But yeah, that D that D part is a big question mark in Bezenkov's game. I, one more thing I would say is you made another good point there. I mean, just think about the sheer amount of threes the team wants to get up. They mm-hmm. want threes to go up. So, like, Vesenkov's going to get his opportunities. And the ball, the off-ball movement and uh, that ability to have a good grasp of that, where he needs to be, where he needs to go, cutting and all that stuff. I mean, you saw a rookie like Murray just – find a niche role and then it kind of slowly expanded. Um, I don't think there's any question that he could fit right into that offense. And the, um, the amount of threes that they want to get up really facilitates that. And that's an important point. So I don't know, man. I mean, Sasha Venzikov, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know. You, you, you just don't know at this point, but there's so much, particularly on the offensive end that kind of feels like it'll translate pretty well. Mm, and At least for the Kings offense as well. Yeah. And that specific fit with them is is, is key and important in all this. And uh, I think, you know, considering that whole notion of him being a star and the whole role thing, how that, how that's going to translate. I mean, by him leaving, that would be an indication that he feels pretty confident that he'll get, you know, a role that is sizable enough and, you know, doable enough, I guess that uh, it'll work out for both parties, but that's the read right now. I would say, right. Yeah. I think so too. It's still very early, but um, yeah, I, I think you, I think you put it well, John. Good job. 
<laughs> um, Especially on a Euro guy who, I mean, I don't know too much about other than from what I've read in, you know, the last year since the Kings traded for him and only seen highlights that I've seen online. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, that was a good breakdown. But just kind of because so, I mean, that kind of brings us to what we've been talking about with Sasha as well as like, well, are the Kings going to bring Barnes back? And if not, like, will Vezinkov take his spot at the three or who would? But what are what do you see as some other options or do you think the Kings bring Barnes back or do you think they bring in someone else? And if someone else other than Bezenkov, who else do you think they could bring back? I know it's like a multi-part question, but. Well, I think you could look at this in two ways. I think you can look at it like who are the, and it, it, the thing is, is it's May still, like you were saying, like it's kind of still a speculative period for us. So it's hard not to kind of start thinking about what, well, potential splashes you know and then there's also kind of more realistic options but yeah like splashes i think it's a fitting time to think about splashes we were talking about uh mikhail bridges last week and uh like the probability of the kings trading for mikhail bridges probably isn't high any team trading for mikhail bridges probably isn't high but it's interesting to talk about it's a thing that could potentially be feasible and i just I mean, it's May. It's it's it, it's just it's kind of a thrill to think about. So like, there are other potential splashes, I guess, outside of Bridges, both in terms of potential free agents and also potential trade. I think you were kind of pointing out that Jeremy Grant might be a, a decent acquisition. I think he's only twenty nine years old. I feel like he'd he would fit right in. No. Yeah, I mean. For sure. Um, he's, I mean, I think he's a better Barnes offensively and defensively. Don't know if he brings the same veteran presence as Barnes does, but I mean, I, overall, at least on the court, he seems like the better player and the younger player, even if by like a year or two. Um, and he can shoot the three ball at a pretty high clip too. The only problem with Grant is that he's going to command over $30 million a year. And if you look at Jeremy Grant, approaching 30 years old soon it's like you know is he a little out of the timeline at that point and is he really worth i mean he'll probably be making i think upwards of 30 million a year um Mm -hmm. and so that's like the drawback for grant it's it's just crazy the nba money now it's like jeremy grant's a guy who's gonna be making 35 mil a year how again he's good but 35 i don't know i Money's the money in the NBA is so weird now. It's like what? It's also just like if you play both sides of the floor pretty, pretty well. Like Andrew Wiggins is a max player in this league. Um, that's that's a good point. But he also has a championship under his belt. That is true. That is true. And uh, but it's just like you look at Grant. I mean, like Grant probably isn't as effective on the offensive glasses as Wiggins is. But I remember on opening night. I think he had like three or four offensive rebounds. I just remember looking at Jeremy Grant. I'm like, I didn't even know that that was a part of his game. Now he averaged like less than 0.8 offensive, like nothing coming off the page there in terms of offensive boards. But I mean, he'd be a nice mix of skill set. The only thing is that money, like you said, especially with them, they're going to be giving Sabonis in all likelihood an extension. So you'd be committing a lot of money like right here and right now. And uh, 
it would basically just be the bulk of your cap, I guess, would be going to three players. And given the depth and kind of upward nature of the core kind of growing together, I don't really know if that's something McNair would want to do, you know? As yeah. great of a player as Grant would be for the Kings. And this was also kind of part of this had to factor in last season when people were talking about connections to a possible trade um, before he ended up going to Portland. Is it really kind of the thing that McNair kind of sees happening? And I don't know. I mean, it's kind of difficult. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Jeremy Grant will be coming to sack. I think it would be a great fit. I just don't think McNair is going to want to pay him at his age with an, uh, a Sabonis extension on the horizon. Yeah. But thinking about another guy that they'd have to give some money to, although, I don't know, like Chris Middleton, if he were to enter the market as a free agent, you know, he's going to decline his player option. If he doesn't renegotiate with Milwaukee, he'll enter free agency. And uh, the Kings would have a chance to get, you know, a guy that would be able to be probably the second scorer on this team. And, you know, albeit he'd be 31 or 32, I think he's going to turn 31 or he is 31, just turned 31. So you're talking about a guy that is slightly older than Barnes. But damn, if if he's healthy, he's a a hell of a offensive player and he's a hell of a defensive player and Willsey's stats made a great point hearkening back to uh keegan murray's introductory press conference after being drafted where he was up there with mcnair he was asked like you know who do you model your game after and he, he said chris middleton and that just made a lot of sense to a lot of people and i think even in pre-draft um comparisons he was often compared to harrison barnes and Chris Middleton and you're now talking about a situation where if you could get him, you'd have not only all the stuff on paper and having a perfect fill in, in the starting lineup, you would have a mentorship for Keegan Murray. Again, the money thing probably in the timeline thing becomes a huge obstacle to that. But almost in that sense, I still don't think it's likely, but it almost feels a little more likely than the Kings getting Jeremy Grant. How do you feel about Chris Middleton if he were to be brought in? Yeah, and I think I think Middleton is just a better Harrison Barnes. So if you're thinking about bringing Barnes back, then I mean you think about Middleton, um, and it, like I think Grant's hey, he's younger, obviously, but it's like at the point where it's like. Barnes is a former champion. He's going to bring a veteran presence. Um, and that's what Middleton is. He's a veteran with a championship under his belt. Um, and he's going to, you know, he's going to play better than Barnes too. So I think Grant's the lack of maybe being that vet and without that, I mean, he has some playoff experience from his time in Denver. But other than that, you know, you, you still want that vet on that team. Um, so, I mean, I think if you're thinking about bringing Barnes back, we definitely test the waters with Middleton for sure. Yeah. And I think that, that experience thing factors in because, uh, the, the playoff pedigree, um, you, you'd be getting Grant would kind of just be, and he'd be kind of jumping on board. I mean, he would obviously help the team, but in terms of like championship experience and stuff, you're not getting nearly the boost that Barnes or Middleton gets you and 
I mean, that was Barnes' first playoff series in seven years or something like that. That's crazy. So it's like, not only do you have a champion, you know, in Middleton, but you'd have a guy that is far fresher in terms of consistently being in the playoffs and, and whatnot. Yeah, that's true. If they could get Chris Middleton, I mean, damn. Even with the age thing, I just, I, I guess, because he only played like 30 games this year or whatever. He had the, the knee injury. Mm-hmm. So, like, you'd have to definitely want to make sure that he's, you know, healthy and pretty good to go, which he should be, I think, by all accounts. But that would have to be a factor as well. It's just about, like, realistic. Is it realistic? I mean, he very well, very well might just renegotiate another contract with Milwaukee. But, I don't know. They just fired the head coach. Change could be abounding over in Milwaukee. Who knows? And I just think that Keegan Murray thing is – Kind of a nice, nice touch. That'd be very interesting. Um, yeah. Pair those would two be together. Nice. Like, who are some, like, uh, like David Robinson and Tim Duncan, you know? Passing yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Passing the torch. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. That should sell every Kings fan on the idea. Like, we're going <laughs> to, what? That? Wow. Dude, it's, we're going we're gonna, to, Yeah. Tim David Armstrong, Tim Duncan. Dude, Keegan Murray's going to be Chris Middleton? It's <laughs> great. Two-time All-Star? <laughs> Legitimate two-way player, baby. And then, like, I guess another big potential splash that was discussed on the site was, um, and this is, I think, easily out of the four total that we've talked about with uh, Middleton, Grant, Bridges, I mean, hell, the Bridges one might be the, the, the most least likely, but also the Jalen Brown one, because he just, I think, what, he just made the All-NBA, uh, one of the All-NBA teams, so that means that I think the only team that can give him a super max contract is Boston or something like that, that had some like implication on that. So the probability of him being moved from Boston, I think, is lower now, but that has been a topic of discussion for months now is Brown's future in Boston. And last week, our favorite cartoonish national sports media figure, if you can call him that, I mean, our favorite, if you can call him our favorite, uh, Colin Cowherd uh, proposed that the Warriors trade Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins to Boston for Brown and Michael Brogdon. And, you know, whether or not think Boston really wants to do something like that. I mean, if they did, I don't think Jordan Poole carries as much weight. I mean, like Cowherd's reasoning was that Boston doesn't need more defense, so they'd have no problem going with Poole. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how Boston wants to play. I think everybody saw how Jordan Poole is. But kind of like going off of that, I mean, like, you know, especially with the fact that like one of the big things behind that, like when Bay Area media was talking about it, they went straight to the fact that it's like Brown went to Cal. He loves the Bay Area. You know, last year when they went to the finals against the Warriors, he gave like a nice shout out to the area saying it's a, it's a home away from home. He definitely has a soft spot for the Bay Area. And uh, I mean, is it totally crazy that he might be okay or interested in joining an up and coming team like the Kings who like that's for sure. They're on an upward trajectory. The Warriors are kind of a big question mark now. Obviously, if Brown went there, that would be a little more like stable in terms of what you think you're going to get out of the Golden State Warriors next season. But 
you just can't help but to ask, like, what about Brown to the Kings? I mean, he'd fit right in, right? <laughs> if mean, it were to happen. Yeah. <laughs> be, I mean, if we can get Jalen Brown, damn, I don't see it happening. But, I mean, to entertain it, I would, I'd be happy to get Jalen Brown. Um, yeah, his, like, his, his uh, future in Boston seems up in the air. Maybe trade him before. I think his contract's up next year, right? But I don't know. I don't think Boston's trading anyone. I don't think they're going to trade Jalen Brown anytime soon. No. And also, we're just talking about, like, this is the problem with any of these players. Is It's like, Bridges is kind of the exception because I think he still has, like, two years left on whatever deal he's on. But it's like, you'd be getting pretty quickly. So not next season, but the season after. You'd be having, like, all of your cap on like three guys, basically not all of your cap, but a significant portion of that. And that just seems like it would undercut a lot of the potential depth that the Kings can carry going forward. But damn, <laughs> I mean, obviously too, if you got Brown, you'd be losing Keegan Murray. You know, if you got bridges, you'd be losing Keegan Murray. Now on top of potentially losing someone like Davion Mitchell, Kevin Herter, something like that. So it just doesn't even really seem worth it honestly yeah that is true you'd lose a lot to just get him yeah but that's the essence of (laughs) mid-may yeah talking about potential blockbuster trades that would be absolute tsunami worthy splashes you brought it and to kind of you know pull away from the tsunami splashes (laughs) type trades (laughs) good um (laughs) I, you you brought up an interesting guy that I don't. I'm just gonna look up his stats right now because I don't really even know what he did this last season in Charlotte, I believe. But you oh. brought up a guy who used to play under Mike Brown. I guess not really technically Kelly under Uber him, Jr. but with Mike Brown in Golden State. Sorry, you can finish. No, 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 no. It's because I have his stats in front of me. I should have let you finish. Oh wow, he had a really good year. He had a phenomenal year. He wow. had a phenomenal year. And I'll preface this by saying. A lot of people have talked about the concept of getting Dylan Brooks. And now Dylan Brooks, obviously, I mean, he was on the second all-defensive team this year. I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's one of the better defenders in the league. I mean, LeBron would not necessarily tell you differently, but might show you a different uh, look than that. But um, Dylan Brooks, you'd be getting a lot of you know defense there. The offense, obviously, would be a question. The... You know, like the character thing, you know, everybody that watches the league, I mean, he's Dylan the villain for a reason. But correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, has there been like locker room issues there? Because I think like on the concept of him leaving uh, Memphis, like Desmond Bain was like, yeah, there's nothing but love for Dylan Brooks. We love Dylan Brooks. But, you know, this is like the, the way business is with Memphis not really wanting to bring him back. Obviously, that means that the organization probably thought something of him. But I guess my point is that uh, if the there's a there's a there's a world where like Dylan Brooks could come into the Kings if they saw him as a worthy fit locker room wise and feel like he can kind of like better himself in that regard. But just to avoid all that, you're talking about a guy that is mostly a defensive player. There's some questions offensively. I feel like just to avoid any of that, you just you have to think about Kelly Oubre Jr. As, as someone that is a way better potential fit in that regard, the connection to Brown, 
you know, he, I don't think he's been on an all defensive team, but he's a great defender. Um, he is better. Like neither of them are really dangerous from three, but I think he has a better two point field goal percentage. I think he's got a few point advantages uh, in the restricted area. Neither are particularly great there, but I mean, Kelly Oubre Jr. would be, I think could fill in starting three and really help the team out a lot. I mean, you'd be losing some spacing, but I mean, he averaged 20 points a game this season, 5.2 rebounds over an assist, nearly one and a half steals. I feel like that would be just such a great addition. And, and just like, just avoid the whole Dylan Brooks conversation. I feel like if you're talking about Dylan Brooks, you might as well just go for Kelly Uber Jr. Yeah, I agree. You said it. Yeah. And, and, Dylan Brooks and Kelly Ray make a little more sense than the other guys because they're a little more realistic. They're actually unre- they're re- unrestricted free agents um, who are, you know, plausible signings for Sacramento as an up and coming team who might be able to pull one of these guys in. One of these guys in Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I, I've been kind of confused. Like, I was like, why why isn't Memphis bringing him back under any circumstance? Like, they were like very like, no, like we're done with this guy. And like I, I he had like the Dylan the villain thing and people were like giving him crap, but like was, was he like an asshole? Other than that, I was kind of confused. I didn't because I never heard any reports that. Did yeah, how how I understand it is that he like there's some like difference about how they envision him as an offensive player. Like I mean, he I think if you look at his stats, I think he had like a down year efficiency wise as an offensive player this year. Um, no, he didn't. <laughs> Uh, he did overall field think, goal percentage. He was under. Is that right? He was under forty percent. Yeah, I think he was a. Ter- I think he just took a lot of shots. So I think he and scored that was like eighteen thing. a game, but I don't. I think it was very inefficient. He wanted an up to roll. I think they tried to give him that, and then it just didn't work. I think that's roughly how I understand it. And so he scored eighteen a game last year, and he dropped down to fourteen. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that was up efficiency-wise was the three-point percentage, but it went from 30% to 32%, which is really 31 to 32. But um, yeah, I think it had something to do with that. There's this difference on the role and who they see each other as. So that could honestly be a huge issue because if he doesn't want to play the role that he's honestly meant to play, most teams probably aren't going to want that. Now some chump's going to sign him, but unless he really can settle in and accept a specific role that fits his skill set that 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 probably prevents him from coming to the kings and again i don't know if it necessarily had to do with any locker room animosity i don't really think any of that was there but if you're gonna kind of i think one of the things that was probably a big turnoff in terms of character was the fact that he after they lost to the to the lakers he skipped out on talking to the media which is mm. never a good sign. And no. I just think, like, just avoid that altogether. What you see in him as a player on the floor, I don't necessarily think that that has anything to do with players not wanting him. Honestly, I feel like him being kind of a pest, being a trash talker, being kind of a kind of a, a dick out there, I think that's <laughs> a lot of players, a lot of, a lot of teams that want to contend could use that. And I think it's a benefit. But you add in, if you get outside your role, if you kind of think you're better than you actually are, um, that's going to create some issues. So like Kelly Oubre, I mean, you're talking about a guy that would know his role. He would 
he would relish it. Obviously, the scoring would go way down, mm-hmm. but you get him as a cutter. I mean, he's a, he'd be he's so athletic. He'd be so good as a cutter. You know, you start. He's not like the, I mean, he, he's not Harrison Barnes at the three, uh, like at the at the beyond the arc. But he, he's done up good years in his career. He's had a couple thirty four years, a couple thirty five. He's a career thirty three on the nose three point shooter, which is, you know, it's not an elite three point shooter, but. He, he can hit them at a decent clip at points in his career. Maybe just really, I mean, he's also, you know, a good cutter and you, you can get that out of him too. But, you know, this is a team that relies on three-point shooting and I think he can bring enough of it or you can still bring him in and he can find other ways to score, like you were saying. Right. And one of the things that I think is important to note about three-point shooting is what's Kelly Oubre's open three-point percentage? I'm going to try to look for it because I'm pretty sure Will Z's stats would have it. He's got it all. <laughs> he does. I like Will Z. But I th- if I'm not mistaken, I think it's pretty solid as an open three-point shooter, which that's what you'd want, and that's what the Kings would be generating, hopefully. The ability to move the ball around and spread the ball out and get open shots for guys, you would think that maybe you know with the shooters around him, he would get more open looks. Let me just find out where that is. I'm I'm looking it up right now. So wide open, three point field goal attempts. He is shooting thirty. He shot thirty six percent this year. Okay, well that's not as good as I thought, but it's better. Than... <laughs> well, that really was not as good year. as I thought. And this year he did only. I mean, he only played forty eight games. Last season on wide open, he shot thirty four. So open, he shot thirty six. Wide open. Do you got the one where wait, he was with the Warriors? Maybe there's some like. Yeah, I think he was pretty bad on the Warriors, to be honest. Is it? Is it... <laughs> I didn't. I don't think he had a good year in Golden State. Yeah, but he shot thirty one percent. Yeah, it three. was kind of a down year for him. Open. No, actually, in Golden State, wide open, he shot thirty seven. But open, he only shot twenty six. That's a big contrast. But that's probably a better. What would you say? Like better template for how the the Kings would play. That's not yeah. to say. Yeah, that, that is that's a good point. Catch and shoot like thirty percent, thirty two percent this year. So I don't know. So it sounds like he's just gonna probably shoot around thirty. Oh, like it, it's if it, he has a good year, he's gonna shoot thirty four percent from three. Mm-hmm. Which is you know. Couple couple takes down from what Harrison Barnes has been giving you the last what four four and a half years. Yeah, it's a pretty significant drop off in terms of three point shooting. But defensively speaking, you'd be getting a massive upgrade. Um, you get a legitimate perimeter defender, who and, and Ubre's pretty versatile with his defense, and that's probably always been one of his biggest strong suits. And yeah. You know, Monty McNair talked about it last week or two weeks ago, rather, at his exit interview. It's like it was an interesting way he put it. It It's like, you know, we had a net rating of whatever. I mean, the point is, is we need to improve that net rating, whether that means boosting the offense or, you know, boosting the defense ever so slightly without losing too much on the offensive end. And I think if you're talking about Ubre, and then maybe Vezinkov kind of coming off the bench or something like that. I mean, like, well, now you have like a really, really potential offensive threat mixed with a great athletic kind of off, you know, cutting defender. 
uh, and Ubre. I mean, like that could be a, a decent pairing. I don't want to get too out ahead though. I mean, like thinking about that, but I don't know. I really like the idea of the Kings potentially bringing in Kelly Ubre. I guess a question would be, would you rather have Barnes or Ubre? Ubre. Just because he fits the timeline. And if you can sign him, I think he'll be a little cheaper than Barnes. I don't know. Because, I mean, he did score 20 points. So he only played 48 games this year. I, I never know how contracts are in the NBA anymore. Like, what what's Ubre's contract going to be worth? And what did he sign in Charlotte? I don't know. It's funny because I remember Ubre was like this big commodity when he left uh, Washington. And he was like good in Washington. They went to the Suns and really started to take off. And the Warriors got him. He kind of had a down year, but he was still like Kelly Oubre. He was like a bigger name. Not like a star, obviously, but he's a pretty big name for like um, like who he is, that like mm-hmm. his type of role. And I kind of forgot about him in Charlotte the last couple of years. So, no, I actually really like that Kelly Oubre. If they could sign him, that would be great. Mostly because of his, I mean, not mostly, but I'd rather have him than Barnes, like I said, for the his age. And if you can sign him for three years, you know, whatever three years 40 mil 50 mil i guess um and that's another guy you have locked up with sabonis and well hopefully it's a bonus right but at least probably sabonis and fox and murray and herder for you know next couple of years so he he signed a two-year 24 million dollar contract so you're assuming he might make around the same maybe a little more maybe maybe 15 mil a year i mean i think he'd probably have to I mean, if he's joining the Kings, he'd probably have to understand that he's not going to get the maximum money that he would want. So I guess that would have to factor into it because it would be probably a little bit more than $12 million, but I don't know if you're going to... I don't know what other teams would offer him, I guess. That's, yeah. that's kind of a big hold. And it is interesting that he has been on Charlotte the last couple of years because that can, that can matter because what Charlotte done the last two years... Like exactly. maybe, he, that's a great point it's like well may, maybe he's ready to win again and he, he'll understand that he might have to take instead of getting paid 20 mil maybe somewhere on some bad team maybe he'll take 15 and play on a team that for the next three years will probably be in the playoffs and maybe help him become a championship contender yeah it's really i mean there's that factor or there's the factor of i've never scored 20 points per game in a season before let's cash in so it could really easily go either way. Yeah, but why Why do he only play 48 games? I'm kind of interested. I don't know. I, I, no, I don't know. I, he must have... Looks like he dealt with a shoulder injury for a minute. Like, because on Fox Sports, it says he dealt with two separate hand issues. And, well, it has it listed as probably the same thing in December. And then in March, he had like a back thing and a shoulder thing. It looks yeah, it looks like he just kind of had the injury bug all year. And I mean, and, and Charlotte was probably kind of trying to tank. I'm assuming too. True, true. The year before that, he played 76 games. I mean, he's 27, going on 28. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily a huge concern, but it definitely is a factor, both in considering him and his contract. The fact that he played 48 games, but I don't know. Again, that thing of him cashing in on it kind of seems. Likely because I don't think his hand his role was enhanced because of uh did Hayward get hurt? Doesn't Hayward, Hayward always get hurt? hurt? I want to say Ball was out for a little bit too this season, and Charlotte was so, terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, it was a so bad like, team. 
So like you have to be honest and be like, well, if you're him at that point, he might never have an opportunity to put up a season like that. So like that idea of cashing in on a legit deal. I, but even cashing in on a legit deal, even if he's scoring 20 points on like the fourth worst, I mean, yeah, remember he was on the fourth worst team in the NBA. So it's like, what, what was scoring 20 really like saying? Like teams are going to look at that. It's like, yeah, Kelly Ruby scored 20 last year. Oh, on the 18 yeah. or 22 win Charlotte team. Who was without everyone and probably had a score. Um, That's true. I mean, people know who Kelly Oubre is in this league. He's been the same guy. I think he'll. I think he'll. He could get twenty mil somewhere, but on a real contender, I don't think he's getting twenty mil. And I think he knows that. But you know, maybe maybe someone wants him. Everything within the context. I mean, you make a good point there. So like, maybe nobody wants to pay him as a twenty uh, per game score. No, because it's unlikely that people actually do envision him being that. Yeah, I don't think anyone does. And he's not going to be their savior. No, um, he should be like, yeah. Your but you just have to imagine, you'd cut. have to imagine that he's going to at least look for that. But there's a really good chance he was not going to get anything super great at that point. Ubre on the Kings would be fantastic if they could pull it off for like a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's like to hoping one. he's he's like my next big thing. I didn't even think about him, but now I'm like, man, that'd be great. At least who you know who's on the market at the moment. But I think he's a guy who could plug in very seamlessly. You know, another guy that came to mind, uh, well, Tobias Harris is again. This is where you're talking about money because what's he making? He's making a lot. <laughs> he's making like but we were 40, talking about like 38 him. Thirty-eight mil. Yeah. Oh God. Ugh. That makes me want to just skip to the last guy I have here. Um, but we did talk about a potential Tobias Harris trade last season, or last offseason, rather. That um, also brought in Thibel. That's <laughs> you know, like, very true. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Because um, I was talking about trade Barnes and someone, like Holmes for Harris and Thibel. Just so you, just so my my reasoning was you bring in Thibel as a defensive guy, and you bring in Harris... Um, who fits Sabonis' timeline in the sense he only has two years left on his contract. Um, and I, you know, I didn't know how the Kings were going to do this year. I'm like, maybe, you know, maybe they need that extra piece so they can really convince Sabonis to stay once his extension's up. Now it's not like, okay, well, they were the third seed last year, probably going to improve next year. Hopefully I don't, I'm not like worried about Sabonis leaving. Like maybe I was not really ever was, but, yeah, you have to convince the guy to stay. But now I'm just kind of like, Harris? No, nah, I'm okay. Even if we, he only has one year left on his contract. But um, I don't know. He just, he's, he doesn't fit the timeline. I don't know. The money thing is just, I think, too big of an option. Yeah, I and mean, it's really going to hinder you in um, free agency if you trade that guy. I, I don't even know how the Sixers have like him and James Harden and Joel Embiid. So, like, I don't know how teams do it. I just, I mean, I don't understand Cap. He's like 32, dang. I mean, he's... Yeah, that's another thing, too. He shot, I mean, he's about Barnes. Shot 38, 39 from three, 14 points a game. About the same age as Barnes. He's 30, he'll be 31 next season. Yeah, you'd be better off signing Barnes. Might as well, yeah, might as well just get Barnes. Better veteran. Yeah. Just, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be, like, totally upset if they got him. I mean, assuming, if anything... Maybe, I don't know. Because, I mean, I assume I assume Sixers are trying to get rid of him. And you'd probably, you could probably get something back for him. But, 
but he is on an expiring deal, which at least at least that right. At least he's on an expiring deal for when Sabonis's contracts up, and he's still a decent player and can be plugged in and be uh, you know a plus player on the team. True. So I'm not totally against it, but it will li- will limit you in free agency this year. But at least right. he's off the books next year, and maybe I you can, can get rid of Holmes's contract in the meantime. And maybe they can ideal. send you something over with it too. It's like, hey, you want us to take on forty million dollars? Like, well, what else are you giving us? So, it's it kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it probably. I mean, I don't know if Philadelphia would want to take that money, but you get a third team involved. I mean, mm-hmm. any, at that point, anything can happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. a, that's honestly how I feel. Whenever you get a third team involved, or whenever you throw a stack of second round picks, I just feel like anything can happen. <laughs> yeah, the second round pick, it's it's crazy. It's nuts. Value is skyrocketing. Yeah. One more guy that I had thoughts about, and this is again kind of more like Vezinkov, like the idea of moving Murray to the traditional three and you know having a starting four. Grant Williams. I don't think he accepted that contract with Boston. Would have been an extension. I think he's a free agent this offseason. And uh he'd be getting a pretty versatile defender that's been on a successful team. I think the offensive questions obviously are kind of big because he had an up and down offensive season, if I'm not mistaken. He's not really playing right now, but I always like Grant Williams. <laughs> you know, I like my my tubby guys. You know, and uh, <laughs> you know, I I feel like it's at least interesting to bring up. I mean, it, he might be more of a you know, given the fact that he kind of turned down a deal that maybe he should have taken. Maybe he feels like he's not going to get his best offer. Maybe he's a candidate for, and I don't know if the Kings want to do this, but like a one-year deal type of thing, get him back on the right track. But again, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I think I think there's, I feel like, especially considering some of the guys we're talking about here, you maybe would feel better about other guys than Grant Williams. But I feel like I got to throw it out there. I mean, how do you feel about Grant Williams coming to Sacramento potentially? So Grant Williams is a restricted free agent um, this offseason. He scored his career high this year with 8.1 points on 40% shooting from three, and he shot 41% last year, career 38% three-point shooter. I don't know. He's only started 58 of the 288 games he's had. I feel like that's kind of like a big ask, just like, all right, Grant Williams, you're our starter for our third seed team, like, you better, you know, you better produce decently. I feel like that's kind of like a big question mark just because he hasn't really held this role. So I don't know. I, I just think that's a little big, too big of a risk. Yeah, it's just, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, um, maybe off the bench. That, okay. see, and see, and that's where it gets interesting because it's like, well, again, kind of talking about like staggering different type of skill sets. You got kind of Grant Williams and then, you know, who is a proven to been. Now, I think there's a bit of a uh, a split on how people view him as a defender because, like, he's versatile. I think you read a lot about his defense. That's all you hear about. Like, look at him guard all these different positions here. But, like, when you get into defensive stats, and defensive stats are always, like, a little misleading, but you have to take it into account with the eye test. Like, defensive stats-wise, he's really not that impressive. So it's like, I don't know. But still, I feel like he'd be... He's a pretty good defender. I feel like with you know, put him with Mike Brown, maybe you'd be able to maximize that upside. And you know, you'd have potentially him and, and Vezinkov on the same team. But again, it's like staggering different uh skill sets there. 
again, uh, uh, without getting too far ahead, but I think you're right. Grant Williams probably get signed by the Kings. And I, even as a restricted free agent, I don't know if Boston's going to, I don't know what Boston's going to do with him. Yeah, them. maybe not matching our offer if it's not yeah. in their price range for him. Yeah. I hear it. It is interesting, but, though. We'll see. Maybe I just, maybe, maybe I just really liked Grant Brown. Williams last year. I like Grant yeah, Williams. I like Williams. <laughs> but, I, don't uh, know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that guy, though, in Sacramento. Yes. But you have to consider all these different options because the theme today was... No, not I, him. <laughs> we'll just cut that part out. Um, <laughs> but uh, just on the overall theme of hypothetically replacing Barnes, it's a nice, interesting mix, both good options, bad options, realistic options, and unrealistic options. So we gave you a little bit of everything, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, comment who maybe you think an option is too. A small forward or wing, maybe move Murray to the three. I mean, there's so many options out there that I'd love to hear your opinion or your voice. John, I don't know. Is that it? You have you want to wrap it up? I think that covers it for now. There'll be plenty more free agency, you know, uh, talk and discussion as the weeks move on. All right. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's the off season. We're at that time of the year. And that's all. I mean, free agency doesn't start till July. So we're just kind of just waiting till then. And I guess just keep watching playoff basketball and uh, predicting what might happen. But I want to thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, have a good one.